So welcome to Grace Church. We're glad you're here. I'm Dan. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Grace, and I just want you to know uh, how thrilled I am that uh, you're here today, and this journey we've been on for three years has just been great. If you're here for the very first time today, we want to say you probably picked a great Sunday to come and celebrate with us and kind of take a peek into who Grace Church is. So today we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus as the ultimate finisher. So I want to start in Hebrews chapter 12. We've been looking at one particular verse, the whole series called Finishers, and so I want to I want to take that up a little bit and uh, take it a little a step further. So we've been looking at this verse that says, "Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin." that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Matt, we've been looking at that verse, but verse 2 is just as important. So I want to read that verse, and that's where we're going to start today. So in, in chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, this is what it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is such an amazing passage of Scripture. That you and I, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our, our trials, are to look unto Jesus. We are to look to Jesus, not around, not at our circumstances. You and I are to look to Jesus, who is the, who is the beginner of our faith and the ender of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. This is such a... And important thing. See, here's what I want you to hear me say. The last and greatest of all the finishers was Jesus. Jesus finished well. And so for just a few minutes this morning, because I am so anxious to get to baptisms that I'm going to shorten my message just a shade today, because uh, I want to watch these people get baptized. But uh, just for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about Jesus and how he finished the race that the Father had set for him. He had a race to run as well. And there was a starting point and there was point and there is a finish point. So he had this amazing race. So first of all, the first thing that I see about him as he learns to finish his race is simply this, is that Jesus forgave all of his enemies. Remember on the cross. Remember when he's on the cross. He's been on the cross for six hours. These people were mocking him and ridiculing him and jeering him and, uh, and uh, just saying things to him that are just horrible things to say to the God who created you. And he looks out over the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, that statement is so huge. It is, it's a big deal for Jesus to, stand, to sit on that cross. I mean, he was in agony. He's in personal pain. And yet he looks at all of his enemies. And I'm just going to say this to you all. Listen to me very carefully. If you do not forgive your enemies, you will not finish this race well. Did you hear me say that? That is so important for you to hear. And for you to practice, that you cannot, the believer cannot have enemies that, they're, that are unforgiven. There are people that make themselves our enemies, but from our side of the equation, forgiveness has to be the equation that we use. And forgiveness is not trust, not suggesting you have to trust your enemies. What I'm suggesting is, is that you have to release them over to God so that you can be freed. And that you can finish the race that God has for you. Because if you don't, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment will weigh you down in the race that God has set for you. It's just, it's going to distract you. When you're thinking about your enemy and not Jesus, that's a mistake, right? You get that? When you are consumed with what somebody has done to you, 
and that is all you can think about when that is what happens, then it affects your worship, it affects your Bible study, it affects your witness for Jesus, it affects everything about you. So here's the deal. If you're going to finish well, like Jesus, you have, got to, you have to do exactly what he does and, and just simply say, Father, I forgive them. The second thing that I see uh, about Jesus is, and this is, I'm looking at Jesus' end of his ministry, and uh, Jesus was focused on the struggle of, uh, of others. Even to the very end, he was focused on the struggle of others. Think about the thief on the cross. Here Jesus is in agony, in pain. I've told you this before. For Jesus even to breathe on that cross, he was there for six hours. He would literally have to pull himself up just to get a breath of air. And in the middle of that, in the middle of all that, these two thieves that had been crucified, one on his right, one on his left, are having this argument. One, one, is, one is ridiculing Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus says, is this one thief that had an open heart, he says, you're going to be with me tonight in paradise. So he, he basically ministers along the way. It's such an important thing about, about who Jesus was. And then the one thing that I just love about Jesus is that he fully embraces his humanity. So let's stop here. Let's talk about who Jesus was. Jesus was and is both fully God, 100% God, and 100% man. And oftentimes you'll see a glimpse of his deity, and sometimes you'll see a glimpse of his humanity. He was the only being in the universe that had two natures. You don't have two natures. You have one new nature. You have a new nature. And the truth is, but Jesus had two. He had a divine nature, and he had a human nature. He's the only being in the universe that was ever that way. And so all through the New Testament, you see this dichotomy in Jesus that he is fully man and fully God. So let me give you some examples. He began his ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the bread of life. He's called the bread of life. He be, I'm sorry, but hungry. He's the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is called the living water. Jesus was weary, yet, yet he is called our rest. Is, you see that dichotomy, dichotomy there? So powerful. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet he wipes away our tears. We see this dichotomy all the way through. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the world. Jesus was brought or bought or brought as a lamb of God to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet his death destroyed the power of death for you and me. So all through the New Testament, you see this dichotomy of his deity and his humanity. And I, what I love about that, what I love about his humanity is it allows me to relate to this God in a way that I could not if he wasn't fully man. Let me show you a section of Scripture that I th think, or read to a section of Scripture that I think is so good. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows what he's about to do. He knows the price that he's going to pay. He knows what's facing him. He knows the cross. It's coming for his way. He knows there's no way to escape it. And so he gets down on his knees, and he prays this. He says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass for me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. So here we see Jesus, and he's saying to the Father, is there another plan? Do we have another way? Is there any other way that I could redeem man and not have to go to the cross? Nevertheless, God, I want you to know I'll do exactly 
what you want me to do. What we see here is beautiful. And what we see here is an amazing part of his humanity. This is what makes Jesus so compelling. I mean, if Jesus was just this, this dude that walked around and just spewed out Bible verses all the time, always had an answer, just, just you know, you know some of those kind of Christians, right? You know, they, you don't, they never let you see their humanity. All they do is give you an answer for what's going on in your life, right? If that was what Jesus was, he wouldn't be as compelling. The reason Jesus is so compelling is that he grew weary, he was tired, he suffered, he got depressed. He, he, he asked God to take the cup from him. That's why Jesus is such a compelling God. So amazing. John Dixon, who once spoke on the, of the theme of the wounds of God on, uh, on a university campus in Sydney, Australia, during a question and answer time, he was a Muslim student, stood up, and he said this. He says, uh, how preposterous, preposterous was the claim that the creator of the universe would subject himself to the forces of his own creation. That's preposterous, he says. That he would have to eat, sleep, go to the toilet, let alone die on a cross. This Muslim student could not wrap his mind around that. Dixon said his remarks were intelligent, clear, civil. He wasn't antagonistic. He was saying, I don't understand how a God could submit himself to his own creation and actually get wounds from his own creation. Isn't that suggesting his weakness? And Dixon thought for a moment, couldn't come up with a knockout blow for this guy who was contending with him, and he couldn't figure out anything witty either, so finally he just simply thanked the man for making the uniqueness of the Christian claim so clear. That God is a God who has wounds. That's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. That's what makes Jesus such a beautiful Savior, is that he died, listen to me carefully, he died by you inflicting wounds to his life. You inflicted those wounds to Jesus. And yet, he still loves you. He still redeems you. It's this amazing, powerful story of redemption. Something else about Jesus that I love is that he knew, there, he knew what his purpose was and he knew there was an end to it. In John chapter 19, verse 30, uh, Jesus is on the cross. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He knew it was done. He said it was finished. He knew that was the end result, the end of the life of Jesus. He cried out from this cross, it's finished. Now think about this. This is, this is pretty powerful. By human standards, everybody, when he did that, by human standards, everybody would have thought, what a failure, right? He came to redeem his people. He came to lead them out of, out of, of, uh, of bondage. And uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. And now he's put on a cross and all the dreams and all their hopes and all the disciples are scattered. You know, that's the truth. And so by every human standard, that would seem as a failure. But yet that very act is the very act of victory that redeemed your life and my life. And not only that, think about this. For all eternity, before creation, Jesus knew his destiny. He knew his destiny. The Son of God knew his destiny. He knew his end. When he was 12 years old and he was debating with the, with the religious leaders of his time and putting them to shame by his own knowledge, Jesus knew at 12 years of age that he was destined for the cross. 
Now, think about that. That is pretty amazing about God. Here's a God who knew his end at 12 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to know my end. I'm just being honest. You know, I'm saying, Lord, in my sleep, that would be great, okay? You know, that would, be a, that would be a nice way to go. You know, just now I lay me down to sleep. Now I wake up and I'm in the presence of Jesus. That would be awesome, amen. How many are in with me for that, okay? All right. So, but the fact is we don't, you know, we don't know our end, do we? Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly how it would end. He knew the agony and the suffering that he would go through on that cross. And yet he bowed his knees to the Father and said, not my will, but your will be done. That is an amazing God. That's an amazing, amazing God. Another thing about him is he surrendered everything to God. Here, here is a Jesus in his humanity who surrenders everything to his Father. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, the Bible says, Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice. This is him on the cross. Last thing he says on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was done. It was finished. He surrendered himself to God. For the very end. In July of 1969, the world held its breath uh, while they were watching Apollo, uh, Apollo 11, and uh, it was the first manned space mission to attempt a lunar landing, and uh, they would, the, the hope was that they would safely land on the moon, but nobody knew whether they were going to come back. So let me tell you the rest of that story. Nixon was the president of the United States when this happened, and Nixon didn't know whether they were going to be successful or not. When those Two astronauts stepped out and, uh, you know, said all those amazing things, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, when they said all those amazing things, the President of the United States didn't know whether they were going to make it back. So he went to his speechwriters and he said, I need a speech. I need a speech in case they don't make it. I need a speech in case they don't make it. So I happen to have a copy of that speech, a uh, short one. He, the president had to say something to the, to the, to, on television to everybody. And so this is what he was planning on saying if this mission didn't work. He was planning on saying, while everyone hoped and prayed for the best, um, well, actually, let me skip down here to the good part. These two, men, these two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They'll be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by, by the nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel it as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. Others will follow, surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men are the first and they will remain foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. That was a speech that President Nixon was going to make if they didn't make it back. Can you imagine anyone being willing to go on a mission so dangerous that you would have to have your obituary written before you left? That would be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? That's a pretty dangerous mission. That's exactly what Jesus did. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied, it was written, that Jesus would die. He would be bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, that he would die, that he would suffer a criminal's death. Isaiah was very clear about this Messiah. Written in advance, Jesus knew in advance, as he empties himself as the Son of God, as he empties himself, the reality is, is that he knew exactly what he was getting into. 
Exactly. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And at that moment in time, his surrender happened at the moment where he stepped off that throne in heaven. They take on the form of humankind. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was a great finisher, but here's the difference between his finish and ours. He knew how horrific his finish would be. Now, that's compelling, right, when you think about Jesus? So when I begin to think about Jesus, I, th I begin to think about my response to him, my relationship to him, and I want to finish well. I really do. I want to finish well. So I'm going to ask you a couple things here today. I want you to think about them. So how are you planning to finish? Maybe some of you have a great ending. Maybe, maybe you and I will just lay me down to sleep and we'll see Jesus before we wake up. Maybe that's going to happen. But what if it doesn't? Will you still plan to finish well? What if your bank account is emptied? What if, what if everything that you dreamed is taken away from you? What if that happens? Are you still planning to finish well? Jesus knew that he would die on the cross, and he surrendered his life to God to do exactly what God intended him to do. He surrendered. And so that means that you and I need to surrender. We talked a little bit about it last week. So let me just kind of unpack this idea of surrender because I think, listen to me carefully, I'm not sure we fully understand the idea of surrender yet. I think we have this idea of surrendering on our terms, not God's. But that's not how it works. Because nobody writes history in advance. You don't write it, only God does. You don't know how the end's gonna come. You don't know any of that. So if I were you, I would want to make sure that I, that I would want to finish well, and to do that, I've got to surrender. So let me first of all talk to those of you that have never crossed that line of faith. So let me talk to you first. So maybe you're here today, and you've been attending for two or three weeks or two or three months, and, and uh, you, you like what you see here. You like, you like all the things that you, you hear, and, and you, you like the message, and you, you certainly like the music, and you like all the things we do of hope first. That's all inspiring to you. But the question I have for you, have you surrendered to being saved? Everybody needs to be saved. Have you crossed that line of faith and have you said that, God, I don't know the end of my life, but I want to be in heaven with you and I want to have, I want to spend all eternity. And so, God, I surrender to the truth that I'm a sinner and that Christ, that you died for me and that you evidence by your death that I can't go to heaven any other way. Have you surrendered to the truth that there's no other way, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby you have to be saved? You must be saved. So in the quietness of this moment, in this moment that we're just spending time talking together, in the quietness of this moment, wouldn't it be a great day for you just to surrender to God and just say something to God like, God, I am broken. I'm sinful, I'm rebellious, I'm unwilling to surrender sometimes, but today I surrender to you for you to save me, for you to deliver me. I accept the fact that Christ died for my sins, and I believe that he died for my sins, and I am going to trust that because of his resurrection that I, that I will live forever with Jesus. So in the quietness of this moment, would you do that right in this second, right in this, you know, there's, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to know all the Bible to know that. You just need to know several things. You're a sinner. 
Christ's the Savior. He's holy. You're not. He wants to reach out and deliver you. And if you're willing to surrender to him, he will deliver you. It can't be part you and part him. It's not, we're not talking about you turning a new leaf over. We're talking about a total makeover from the inside out in your life. That's what we're talking about. So let me address those of you that, that have done that. And let's just be real. Oftentimes, our surrender is very conditional. Is it not? Hello? Come on. God, you show me what to do, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to do that or not. If it's convenient, I'll think about it. If it's not convenient, I won't. And my question to you is that, is that really going to make you finish well? Is that kind of thinking really going to be what works for you? Is it really? Is that, gonna, is that kind of surrender going to be the kind of surrender in your life that really, that really presses you to the end? So the kind of surrender that God might be calling you to, in fact, not might, is calling you to, is a blind surrender. It's a blind surrender. And that blind surrender simply means this. Is it, God, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to end. But here's what I'm committed to do. I'm committed to following in your footsteps, Jesus, no matter what it costs me personally. I'm not going to look at the cost to determine whether I'm going to follow. I'm just going to follow you because I know who you are and I know there's no other way. You're the Savior. You're the God of the universe. You spoke this world into existence and you know how it's going to end. And I don't. And so I'm going to blindly surrender to you. Because if you don't do it that way, it's not really surrender at all. It's just decision making. That's all it is. And of course, we all need to make great decisions. But I'm telling you, what God wants from you is a surrender, unconditional surrender. Raising up the white flag and saying, God, I'm going to start, I'm going to stop controlling my destiny and I'm going to put my hands into your hands, God, and I'm going to stop fighting with you and I'm going to let you direct my steps. And I'm just going to tell you, that's where the power of God begins. It doesn't happen until surrender takes place. God isn't interested in doing battle with you every day. He's interested in you following his, his lead. He is the lead in this dance. I have to follow his dance. I'm not leading the dance. I'm not telling him what to do. Prayer isn't telling God what to do. Prayer is simply surrendering to God. Our Father, the one who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about surrender. Your will be done, not my will be done. So if you're here today as a believer in Jesus, I just want to say maybe it's time for you to raise up the, the, the white flag and say, God, today I blindly surrender to you. Maybe that's the decision that you need to make today. Instead of trying to control it and seeing it and making a decision after you have all the facts. I mean, that's not faith at all. Faith is believing before you can see all the facts. Faith is believing the outcome before you can see the middle. Faith is sometimes not being able to see anything at all and still trusting God. So let's do something together in a blind trust. This is a, this is a gamble. This is a blind trust. I'm going to ask you, if you're ready, you don't have to if you don't want to, but I'm going to ask you to proclaim to God 
a statement of trust without knowing the outcome of your life. And just a statement that says something like this. Let me say it first. I am planning to finish. I am planning to finish. You don't know what that means, do you? You don't know what that means for you tomorrow or the next day or next month or next year. You don't know what the outcome is going to be three years from now. But faith is making proclamation based upon what you don't know, based on who God is. So let's say it together if you mean it. I am planning to finish. Let's do it one more time. I am planning to finish. That is so amazing. Now, what you do every day is every day you get up and you say to Jesus, I am planning to finish. I, those that finish well, plan to finish well. And those that don't finish well, don't plan to finish well. They just don't think about it. I'm planning to finish well, just like Jesus planned to finish well. Now, for those of you who today, here today that have crossed the line of faith, that have not yet been baptized, let me speak to you just a few minutes for just a second. Uh, the decision is yours, but here's the deal. Is that baptism, and what we're going to do in just a few minutes, baptism is a public confession of your inward faith. It's coming out to the world and to your friends and saying, I believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that Christ died for my sins. And some of you have crossed the line of faith, but you haven't ever said, I'm going to let other people know about it. That's what baptism is. So in just a few minutes, we're going to sing one more song uh, here before we baptize, and we're going to invite you. We're going to invite you to stand up wherever you are at, make your way out to the aisle, go to the back, and there'll be somebody back there that will give you some stuff to get baptized in, and uh, you can go home with some dry clothes. But you know who I'm talking to you to because your, your heart's pounding right now. You're thinking, I haven't done that yet. I haven't been baptized yet. I know I should. I know I should, but I just haven't. And here's what I've discovered. You know, I've been doing this a long time, baptized hundreds and hundreds of people. This is what I've discovered. Not one person has ever come back to me after I baptized them and said, man, that was a mistake. <laughs> and yet we resist it, don't we? We resist it because we haven't surrendered. <laughs> We're still trying to control what goes on in our life instead of letting God control and walking by faith based on His Word. That's the, that's the goal of the Christian life. So here's what I want you to do is if you haven't been baptized since you've been saved, it's always this order. You get saved, you believe on Jesus, and then you publicly, publicly proclaim that in the waters of baptism. That's always, how it always works. So if you haven't done that yet and you want to today, we're going to give you an opportunity and we're going to rejoice with you. We're going to have a party here today. But in the next song, what you've got to do is if you've got to, you've got to walk to the aisles and then walk to the back. That's the hardest step. Everything else is going to be easy from there, from there on out. The hardest thing for you to do is ask the person sitting next to you, excuse me, I need to get out. You have my permission. Listen, I'm just telling you the truth. You have my permission to knock them over if they won't move. If they're not going to move for you, then I'll help knock them down. Just saying. The hardest step for you is just to make that first move. And I'm telling you, you'll not regret that, that movement. You'll not regret that decision to say blindly, I'm going to act in obedience to Christ not knowing the outcome of my life. That's... 
how you finish well. And then you make that a pattern in your life all the days of your life. So are you planning to finish well? Are you in? Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your grace in our life. And, and Lord God, I just pray earnestly that, God, everything that I say will be forgotten, everything you've said here today will be remembered. In Jesus' name, amen.